one, do everything that you possibly can to educate yourself on the thing you're trying to do. Um, we've seen too many things where people get into horrible situations, get caught up in the glitz and glam, um, get caught up in the, the, the names of labels or people or things. Do your thing and educate yourself, number yeah. one. Um, number two, find incredible collaborators mm. in your vicinity. It's well and good to try and be in the room with X, Y, Z, but get, reaching them is virtually impossible. You need to have something first. And the best way to do that is find someone in your general vicinity and just do the thing with them. Yeah. Mm. Create something that's dope and is a, is a journey, a musical experience. And then um, this is advice that I did not take um, early on. But when things start popping off, find a lawyer. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com what's going on welcome to the new music business i'm your host ari herstand author of how to make it in the new music business the book Today was a treat. My guests are Bubele Boy and David Balshaw. They are a production songwriting team originally from South Africa, now residing in L.A. They go by the name Noble. That is this uh, production duo, songwriting production duo. And uh, they recently signed a publishing deal with, uh, well, Campfire is the publishing company. This is a collaboration between This Fiction and Spark. You may remember This Fiction from my previous guest, Seth Callen, the manager for J.P. Sachs, Ex-Ambassadors, Jukebox the Ghost. He was on the New Music Business podcast. Go listen to that episode. Uh, these guys talk about their story from South Africa to Los Angeles. But most notably, they wrote, uh, co-wrote, they, they got the cut on Beyonce's uh, The Lion King soundtrack, uh, Beyonce sings it, Find Your Way Back. That is their cut. They have tons of other cuts with artists from all over the world, um, but they're just getting started, and they talk about the entire journey. We nerd out a little bit on gear, so for all you producer gearheads out there, you'll have some fun with this. We, we talk about the difference between uh, analog and digital plugins. Uh, the debate rages on. And, uh, and then we talk about how to get a publishing deal. And they give some really great advice to emerging songwriter producers on how to get your foot in the door no matter where you live. I know there's a hot debate out there that you got to move to L.A. or Nashville or New York or London or something like that. They give some really interesting insight, really great insight, especially coming from South Africa and uh, how to go about the game, the songwriter, producer, publishing game. We talk pub deals. We get into all of it. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ari Herstand. You can find all of us that make the show at Ari's Take on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. 
Of course, visit ariestake.com. Sign up on that email list. That's where you're going to get all the latest information and the my most recent musings on the new music business. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, click that up thumb and leave us a comment. That also really helps. All right, let's kick into the show. Noble, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey, welcome. what's up? So, uh, Bubele and David, this is actually, uh, I, I want to say this is the first podcast that I've done where my guests are two of you in the same room next to each other. I've only really typically do, you know, one-on-ones and we've had a we've had a couple like groups like this, but you know, through yeah. the last year they've been separated. So, how long have you guys been in the same space in the same physical space together? We, we've been in the same physical space, I think non-stop <laughs> for the past 5 months yeah. and and that's oh. very intense. It's not like we, we sometimes see each other. It's yeah. like we have been living with each other for the past five months. Yeah. So. And that's a direct antithesis of like we were production partners and working together for years, yeah. but two and a half years of that time was in separate cities completely. Well, separate continents. Separate continents, yeah. And so David okay. in South Africa and I was in New York. And like, so now we went from a long distance relationship to yes. being in the house all the time together, work, play, eat. We, 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 we shared a room for most of January and then the whole affair, but our manager, Seth Cullen's house, uh, his back, back room. Um, yes. and so we were, we were with each other every single moment of every day. <laughs> Seth is so generous. He's a previous guest on the new music business podcast. Uh, yes. Full disclosure, Seth Callen, your manager. Wow. That is quite a generous manager to, to host you, uh, as well. So, so that's really interesting. I want to take it. I want to step back a little bit. Um, and I'd like to, so explain how you guys met, how you got started. I'm very intrigued by the two continent story, but but take me back. Uh, okay, so the way that we met was in 2016, and I'd gone to this church event, and a friend was like, yo, you need to meet this guy, David. And I was like, okay, cool. And he introduced us afterwards, and David was had just come in from Australia, I think. Yeah, I finished school. And then I went to Australia to a music college and I was doing songwriting there for two years. And I, I just got back to South Africa, moved to a new um, town, Cape Town. Mm-hmm. And um, as I got there, the same guy was like, you have to meet Bubele. And so I was at this event and we met. Mm-hmm. We had, it was, it was after the event had finished and there was like a McDonald's up the road. So we took a, a little stroll there and we, as soon mm-hmm. as we started chatting, we just realized that we were in like such a similar space mm-hmm. musically um from like a taste perspective and like our journey and like uh, what we've listened to over the past like five years and also like values and also um we were in our career yeah position there and i think mm. that was actually the the nail in the coffin was um one of us was like oh yeah i just um we'd both been contacted by a label separately to work with this new act that they'd signed and mm-hmm. so uh you know when you're talking about hey what are you like what have you been up to? And I was like, oh, okay, I've just done this thing. He's like, no ways. They actually just emailed me three months ago <laughs> to do the same thing. So they were flying this artist down to Cape Town to work with us for like, for like two, for one weekend, yeah, for like one two day weeks each. time. And it was one day each. So we're like, I'd like, why don't we just make some beats together and just do the session together? And we made some cool. beats. And 
it was incredible. I think that was a large part of why we started doing what we were doing together was that mm. we made two songs and two of those songs made the album. Both of them. Yeah, one of those songs was the single. It was like, okay, so clearly... Who, the who was the artist? What were the songs? Her name, uh, her name was Reiki. She was signed okay. to Universal Music South Africa, um, mm. R-Y-K-I. And the song was... Throw You Down. Yeah. And what, what Could We. What Could We. Yeah. Cool, cool. So, so to... Um, tell me about your process because I'm really curious how production teams uh, work together, songwriter, producer teams. Do each of you have your own role? Step me through the process um, as it is now and maybe if there's been an evolution, you can kind of discuss that, where you started, where you are now and how you work a session. Yeah. I think a big a big part of why it started is that music is way more fun with friends. And I think like as producers, we, we just wanted to like make music with other people. So I think mm-hmm. that was the, the initial like attraction to, to be in a duo. And then from like a, our different roles, there's a lot of overlap in that um, we can do what the other person does, but then there's like some, some strengths when it comes to production, maybe in like Bobele is super good with like the big picture strokes and coming up with ideas um, fast and um, I don't, yeah, I think my strength is more maybe um, like refining those ideas or like distilling mm. them into into a record. Um, so like the that. way that I would sum it up is, <laughs> David is I'm the spice, he's the shine. Like that's, that's how <laughs> I, I describe that. it. I, I okay. at the wall, and they're uh-huh. wild ideas, and some yeah. of them are very cool. But if you put a lot of aggressive ideas together. It's just a one big ginormous mess of a bad idea. Yes. And David will come in and be like, hey, cool, this is cool. And be like, let's take this, let's take this, let's dial this back. Let's make this sound nice. Let's fix up this mix. This, this kick isn't right. And mm. get the vibe mm. that way. And I think it comes that way because um, our production styles are the exact opposite of one another is I'm uh-huh. top down and David is very small out. So he's like little little iterations of perfection sort of make a record and then i'm sort of like big ideas that get distilled down to the bottom but i think both of those things separately don't quite work completely because big and distilled means that you have this like vibey record but it's not a record and if you have immaculate little things stacked on top of each other it just becomes Mm -hmm. a little bit sterile even though it sounds good but it doesn't have any feeling Feeling. so Mm. so Oh yeah, so, keep going. Sorry, add on that from a, a session yeah. perspective, it really helps to have another um, producer because, say, I'm like at the laptop um, trying to just focus on getting the beats off the ground, and Bubele can like speak to the artist and the keep strategy. the energy because sessions are all about like just keeping the momentum and yeah, just keeping the energy up. And so having another person really helps with that. God, cool. So um, I, I'm very intrigued by this small to big, big to small, you know, big picture, you're the details, all of that. Uh, specifically, when you're saying like, uh, Bubela, you're like the big picture, small, are you saying like, okay, I have this idea of what the chorus should be? Let's like, you have the structure. It's like, okay, I'm going to map out the song right now. We got the, you got the intro, we got the verse, the chorus, the bridge, the core, you know, and then David comes in and is like, all right, uh, I want to add this kind of a, a kick here. I want to add uh, some hats here. I want to add a guitar part here. And is that what you mean by big picture to the small, the, the details and they meet in the middle? Um, sort of, maybe it's more like I'll get the vibe and direction 
Okay. Going is something that I'm maybe a bit stronger in doing, and David will still that. So, for instance, we'll take a song and be like, oh, I want the guitars to like slam in the chorus with these big hits, and then the verses, I want it to be like tight and like, you know, bouncy mm-hmm. and cushiony. And mm-hmm. I'll do that, but it's not quite there. So, David comes in and says, okay, this part is confusing. Let's change this. Let's dial back the percussion here. I like what you're doing here. Let's change the kick. Let's change the mm-hmm. snare. Make this hit harder. This transition cool. needs to be a bit better. It's like those, cool. those things. So it's sort of like, uh, I like to try and set directions, but mm-hmm. sometimes seeing the direction through to its eventual execution is not something I'm the greatest at doing. Cool. So um, what do each of you play in terms of instruments? We, oh, there's, there's, a, there's a beautiful piano behind us, which was um, actually at the house when we got here. And that's, so we both, we both play piano at varying levels of, proficiency um we actually just got a bass guitar today so Roberta's pretty excited good. About that. Congratulations. Uh, I know the <laughs> and, and then guitar is quite a big part of what we do um mm-hmm. yeah. i think just yeah but it's also we're both classically trained like dave is a classically trained trumpeter i'm a classically trained pianist <laughs> I, ah, trumpet power. I play trumpet. All right. <laughs> I, I'm a classically trained trumpet player as well. All right. <laughs> yeah, we can jam out on some Hummel and Haydn later, but cool. <laughs> yeah. So it's like those things help you, but I genuinely believe that like the classical regimen of teaching kids instruments doesn't really show you, teach you how to express yourself musically. It teaches yeah. you to execute musically. And those are very mm-hmm. different musical gestures so even when i went to university so in my undergrad i studied at uct which is the university of cape town and i was in the music conservatory there at the college of music and mm-hmm. um playing like my first two years was so hard because i had to play bach pieces and beethoven and mm-hmm. these pieces that really i only love the late romantics when it comes to piano but you have to be really good to play yeah. like Liszt and mm-hmm. chopin and all those guys sure. never got to that level and so i was there playing beethoven and just I mean, not Beethoven, Bach, and I just couldn't hack it and I didn't have the technical proficiency, but um, it taught me resilience. But being able at least to read music and play piano and like, mm-hmm. that's helped me a lot. Um, it helps David and I, the language of things very quickly, like, hey, just let's go to the 501 or whatever. Like just, mm-hmm. we can say musical terms quickly, but we're not as good players as we would like to be. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're slowly getting better. Um, we, and, we love working with like yeah, session guitarists yeah. or sometimes a song needs like crazy jazz piano and we know wh- where we where we lack and where we need mm-hmm. um, other other people who are just stronger and mm. that's that's part of the process and that's also where I'm assuming Ableton helps you as well when it comes in yes oh 100 percent it's a it's a it's a wild thing the thing the beauty of MIDI but Mm -hmm. that goes all out the window when you start recording things like we've started recording this live piano you have to get good dog like you can't (laughs) you hit the bum note and that's a bum note in the recording (laughs) and sometimes it's a vibe like the imperfections are so cool but you learn very quickly like yo you actually need to play you need to know there's no melodying and uh, an acoustic upright piano can it sounds weird i highly recommend any producers thinking about doing it to do it it's but very it's, cool it's way cooler if it sound like weird and like 
lo-fi or something. Because <laughs> okay, there's that, okay. the, the, the Melodyne studio, yeah, you can like things. do polyphonic editing, which is crazy. We haven't, I yeah, we haven't explored it properly. Yeah. It's 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 mm-hmm. insane, but you, it's not going to sound like a proper grand piano if you're out here editing the notes. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're learning. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, well, I, I'm curious about that. Let's talk piano sounds. Let's talk um, how often, I mean, it's so easy to just uh, whip out the MIDI keyboard and it's mm. safe and you can quantize it and you can, you know, add whatever sound you want and, and you don't have to worry as much about your rhythm. So do you ever actually track? The, I mean, I see some mics placed on that upright uh, behind you. Yeah. Why do you track it? And, and are there have you just not been able to find the plugins or get the sounds? Or is it more for vibe? Or step me through the difference between a MIDI piano and the and the acoustic piano. Two things, vibe and boredom. I think those are the things that pretty much inform most of my production ideas is I'm if I'm bored of doing something, it's not going to be inspiring. So we have really beautiful plugins, some really nice sounding pianos. If you if you like really manipulate the velocity, you can get a beautiful sound mm. and you can't really beat it because these pianos are recorded in the most expensive studios with the most expensive mics with the best right. engineers in the world. Those are three things that you just you have to have a lot of money to buy. Yeah. And then on top mm. of that, they are recorded with incredible players. So mm. you you the sound you're getting out of them is unbeatable unless you have an a crazy amount of money mm-hmm. but the vibe that you get from putting your hands on something and playing and the imperfections of that and the the way that it forces you to be creative to get the sound that you're looking for mm-hmm. that is what i very much value in live recording of piano yeah mm-hmm. and it's sort of like this big argument that we've had about like software since and hardware since it's like oh we should get a juno or whatever and mm-hmm. i mean i might get lynched for that but i i i really don't think that like a juno vst sounds that different to a juno hardware right Mm -hmm. and that's a big controversial statement but the reason i say that is because they're the emulations these days are so good but it's the magic of putting your hands on something and feeling electricity go through circuitry that makes you play differently and the way that you play differently converts a different magic to the thing that you played even if it's exactly the same chord sequence same notes and mm-hmm. that's the that feeling that's that un intangible thing mm-hmm. that's what makes the hardware sounds so much better and so yeah that's sort of my philosophy on it is once you're mm. bored with something you know what it sounds like you can't get anything interesting out of it move on to something else i think mm-hmm. another big thing about the piano is um it's the the whole the wall of sound is coming towards you and you you mm. feel it uh, in your chest i think that's so inspiring we we've been marking it up and it doesn't sound like it does in the room. That's the, <laughs> that's the problem. And um, the other thing is, like we mentioned earlier, like about momentum in sessions and mm-hmm. having a, a synth that's just hooked up or like a, a piano that's just ready to go as soon as you touch it. That's the same thing as guitars. Mm-hmm. Is that you're able to get a sound and an idea going quickly. Some of mm-hmm. our best mm-hmm. songs were started on the roads or the piano because um the art we just were playing we weren't overthinking it we're just playing these basic chords that we wouldn't have usually played if we're mm. trying to impress the artist and they're like i love that and then that gets us going mm. and this, the session starts and, and yeah that, that helps. speaking of the, this controversy i mean have you guys ever been to nam no In a- okay no. so do you, do you know so nam is you know like the largest uh music instrument gear conference in the world uh it's in yeah. anaheim every uh 
Su- no, Anaheim every winter. I believe it's like January, February, something like that. And then it, they have a smaller one in Nashville every summer. But we're, I mean, we're talking. Yeah. It's like it's like Guitar Center times a thousand. Yeah. So it's just, if, if your anxiety level rises the moment you step in Guitar Center, imagine yeah. Nam and you multiply that in like a giant convention right. center, and it's just you know hundreds of thousands of people. Anyway. Uh, Universal Audio set up a booth there, and they oh. had their um, analog plugin hardware mm-hmm. right there, mm-hmm. and then they had their digital plugin of the you know the exact same you know yeah. plugin that they modeled it after, and they had you take a test, and so wow. you would go through, and they gave you a quiz sheet, and so you're going through this this exhibition there, and so you know it's like test your ears, so you pop on the headphones and like A or B, A or B, like which one is which. Yeah. And everyone's failing. Everybody failed this thing. Nobody could guess which was that. Like, they're that good, those digital pl- – and so it's like, you know, yeah, people are like, well, it's the warmth. And, you know, it's like really yeah. the nuances. Uh, when you drive the thing, it's like, no, they figured it all that out. It's like <laughs> nobody could get it. <laughs> the robots are smarter. They've taken <laughs> over. <laughs> That's the thing. I think, I think that those, um, those plugins work when you can incorporate them into your workflow so you're not like – um, being held yeah. hold up at every stage, I think. It, mm. But if you can take the best of both worlds, the speed yeah. and the, the 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 sound of analog for like maybe mixing and like preamps or um, sure. compressors, but then like the the touch of like maybe analog synths, mm-hmm. pianos. I think like that's what mm-hmm. like our dream is to have yeah. that like hybrid. I mean, you do make a really good point about the inspiration, <laughs> and you're even though technically they may sound virtually identical or like you were talking about the samples uh, before, they might sound quote unquote better because they're recorded by professionals with the best mics in the world and yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you're still the humans behind the music that are creating it. And so it's not about like which note sounds better in a vacuum on its own because that's never going to be a test for anybody. But how are you going to create the best song at the end of the day? And you bring up a really good point about inspiration because that's the most ephemeral, ephemeral, elusive part of the whole process is like, where is that inspiration coming from? And so I think that's the part of the conversation that the gearheads are not uh, focusing on, which is the most important part of the discussion and the argument Mm -hmm. is that like. It doesn't matter if you can tell the difference between the analog or the digital plugin. Yeah. It matters what is going to bring you the most inspiration for the best song at the end of the day. Like, I, love I don't know if anyone from UAD is listening, but if they were to just make like <laughs> a literally like a, a plastic casing that looks like the hardware that controls the digital <laughs> emulation, that's it. That's the money. You have like a 96 channel SSL yeah. that's yeah. really just plastic faders and knobs that are sending digital signals to the partner <laughs> computer, but it feels you get the magic and you get the the sound like it's it's yeah. probably cheaper than the, the thing. I don't know. That could be that could be the move. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, uh, Bubela, you're gonna have to get a, a maybe take a patent out on that real quick before somebody listens <laughs> to this and steals that because that's a brilliant idea. Um, I was just in studio the other day and we recorded straight to tape, which is the first time I've ever recorded straight to tape before. Uh-huh. And because we were just doing live takes with the band, I got this this throwback '70s style funk band, yeah. and we were doing just like live takes. We're like we're not doing any overdubs. It's just we're filming this it's just gonna be live live you know nine piece everything and so the engineer's like well should i just 
turn the tape machine on. I'm like, shit, I've never done that. Like, yeah, let's go. Granted, we're running you know, through the board, uh, through Pro Tools, yeah. tracking the Pro Tools and tracking a tape at the same time. And then yeah. after every ta- take, he like dumped the tape into Pro Tools so then you could mix it later. Um, yeah. But it was cool. And it was, if nothing more, I'm like at the beginning of the session, like we're tracking a tape. No, <laughs> you know? and yeah, like, yeah. This is going to be so cool. I've never done this before. It could turn out like so beautifully. Yeah. And that, that gives you energy to maybe play better or create something that you wouldn't have otherwise, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? totally. Um, awesome. So we could, we could keep nerding out yeah. through, through this whole process, but I want to get back to your story because it's, it's so interesting. Um, so uh, you guys met in South Africa. Uh, David, you went to university in Australia. Are you, are you originally from South Africa and you just decided I to go to Australia in- for university? Grew up in in Port Elizabeth, which is a small town okay. um, in South Africa, and then I I went to Sydney for two years. Mm-hmm. But I always wanted to live in Cape Town and study at the University of Cape Town. So mm. after two years in Sydney doing music, I came back to South Africa and went to the University of Cape Town, where I met Pubele. Yeah. So the real question is, how do you go from uh, kids hustling in Cape Town to working with Beyonce? Go. <laughs> <laughs> Um, a lot of things that you cannot plan or strategize and rest. way too many NDAs. Like, <laughs> that is exactly what that journey is. Um, sure. Yeah, that was that was wild. Um, I signed, what had happened was David and I had started working together. It was very early on in mm-hmm. our career. Sort of the, the South African music industry is small because it's quite a small country, for, like comparing it to the US. But there's also, uh, so it being small and my family didn't really know anyone in the music industry. So you, I didn't really know anyone in, there's no given path. There's no, yeah. you know, you sort of finding your way. And so when we got this first opportunity to work with the signed artists, that was our first venture into like the major label system or like the music industry, but you're still sort of on the outside, don't really know what's happening. But through that, someone offered me a publishing deal. And then mm. I was like, oh, this is cool. What is publishing? And then uh, I learned more and more about it. It's like, oh, we can even give you an advance. I was like, an advance? Is that a loan? I have to pay it back. Nah, I don't want to be in debt. So I rejected <laughs> the advance. About that now. Very different opinions now. Or like yeah. very passionate at different opinions about it. But I wasn't educated, so I said no to it. And then a year later, um, the same guy uh, came back and said, look, I think we should do this thing. Like, we can get you in sessions and all these things. And I was, it's okay. I was like, okay, let me do it. And I did it specifically with the intention of knowing that I was going to go to New York for my master's. Mm. So my whole thing was transitioning into the U.S. Um, music market. How can I do that without paying for it? You, you timed it perfectly because you signed, it was a three-year contract and you signed it two years before you went to you. Uh, the U.S. So you just had one year mm-hmm. in the U.S. that it's, until it was finished. Exactly. And so... Yeah, I, I somehow managed to convince like a board of bankers and engineers to give me money to study music in the US. Wow. And that was the wildest conversation ever. Like right before the interview, I was sitting there and speaking to a girl. And she's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm here because I need to go to Harvard for neuroscience. And I was just like, what? No, no, not, not nuclear, <laughs> nuclear physics. She was like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to make beats in New York. How is this going to happen? <laughs> somehow, it was the wildest thing. Somehow, halfway through that interview, I had the panel discussing the merits of Kanye West. It was so wow. weird. It was That's so crazy. weird, but it was, it was a good time. And yeah. so, went to New York, signed this publishing deal, timed it like this, went to New York, hoping that this publishing house would then get me a foot in the door 
on that side. And it turned out even that was a hard journey. It didn't really happen. And then it was tough for you in the first few months. So tough. Mm. The whole first year. Because mm. it's so sort of like the whole first year was just struggling to meet anyone yeah. or have anyone take me seriously. And then, but in the first three months, I got a meeting at Universal Music Publishing in New York. And I went there and that was probably my first and only meeting for like six months or whatever. And I went there and I was so scared, played this, um, got into this meeting um, with Ari Galore and she was amazing. And she had just come onto the team and she um, was like, okay, cool, like play some music for me. And so I played music, which is the most horrifying thing. It's so scary. So scary. It's so weird. And you just play beats. All you want in the whole music life is yeah. for someone to listen to your music and then you get the opportunity to do so and it's the scariest thing in the world <laughs> oh, suddenly. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. So I played her some music and I flicked through a few things and I played her one beat and when I started playing it, she just pulled out her phone and started texting. So I was like, oh, I've blown the meeting. <sighs> this is, yeah. that's it. It's all over for me. And she looks up at me and she says, what are you doing on Monday? And I said to her, I don't know, I think I have registration or class or something. And she says, cool, you have a meeting at Parkwood. And so I nod and then keep quiet for a few seconds and then slowly ask, I'm like, ah, what's, what's Parkwood? No! <laughs> <laughs> it's Beyonce's label. So yeah. yeah, that was that first meeting. And I went to that first meeting and it was the scariest thing ever. And who was it with? Or is that thing, in- I don't know if I'm allowed to say who that meeting was with. To be okay. genuinely honest, I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> surely I can say she's a lovely person. Um, my meeting was with Marielle Gomez. Okay. And she cool. was just, she's the coolest. She's the awesome. coolest person. I was so scared, but she showed up to the meeting. She's like in a snap and tracks and dope sneakers and just like, hey, what's up? And we just had this conversation and we spoke about my musical heritage, what I was doing with musically. And she just asked me to play her some things. And that sort of started the journey of, mm. of that. And it became this like eight month, eight month, nine month long ordeal where I genuinely did not know I was on the album until, until the day it came out. I rolled and we're out talking the Lion King album. Yeah. Okay. Because right. Your song, uh, find your way back. I mean, I, I, we had Kevin Garrett on the show as well, and he wrote, uh, the first track on lemonade, um, and uh, pray you catch me and said the same thing. He literally didn't know that his song was going to make the Beyonce album, the, the lemonade album until it dropped the oh, day it came God. out. And then he's like, well, I guess I'm on Beyonce's new album. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's the wildest thing. Her team is so proficient and mm-hmm. well executed and lined up on their vision. And they just work like the CIA it's need to know basis. You don't need to know what you don't need to know. And, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a beautiful thing. Cause it's also like this, the most inclusive, loving team. You'd, you'd think in a, in a team like that, it would be very exclusionary because they're so like, almost they've removed themselves from the industry and they do their own thing, but mm-hmm. it's just a very loving, safe space I found. And I think the, the second part of this journey was getting invited out to the writing camp for the Lion King. Mm. They subsequently made like a little documentary on, and that was the wildest thing. I was in LA for my first trip ever. And I was about to leave. I was crashing on a friend's mom's couch. Mind you, this mom had never met me. So my friend that I'd met in South Africa was like, yeah, stay on my mom's couch. And she just <laughs> let me crash. And I was about to take an Uber to the airport. And I get a call from Marielle and she says, hey, where are you right now? So I'm, like, oh, I'm in LA. She says, oh, really? Listen, when are you leaving? And I say, in two hours. She says, I'm going to call you right back. And she drops the phone. 
And at this point, I'm flat broke. I do not have enough money for a new flight if I miss my flight, nor to rebook the Uber that I've already scheduled. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, in 45 minutes, if I do not have a response, I'm going. I'm going. I have to get on the plane. And mm-hmm. 45 before the 45 minute mark, literally at like 43 minutes, I get an email from her team, and they're just like, hey here you are, here's your new flight itinerary, here's your accommodation. And they sent a car. And that was the beginning of like going to this riding camp. And that was the most humbling experience and exciting experience ever. Just people from all over the world, just making music with no ego. Talk to me about the riding camp, because uh, I've never been to a riding camp. Uh, I think a lot of the li- our listeners have never been to riding camps, songwriters, producers. How, do, how did this riding camp go? This one was very interesting for me because maybe that was my first writing camp that I'd been invited to. I sort of okay. knew of the concept and we have our own writing camp every year. It's more of a retreat. Yeah, <laughs> like a little writing retreat. But this was like at an undisclosed location and you like knock on the door and I'm like, I don't know what's happening. And like walk down this hallway and it's dark and there's like a glowing red exit sign at the end. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. And you walk <laughs> in and it's this beautiful space and they had like, just rooms for each person Mm. Um, and maybe like six or seven studios. And what everyone does is they sort of, this writing camp, they were, it was very specifically for the Lion Lion King movie. And um, we just got there and there was a lot of like mood boards and um, people all around um, from all over the world. And we sort of just hang out and that's all they do is like, I think a writing camp is, creating a safe space to foster creativity and people to link and connect in a way that maybe um, you wouldn't get to do if you were having like a four hour session in and out, have to drive through traffic. No, you all just descend on this location mm. and hang out and send stems, play things for each other, bop around. And so yeah. each person has their own room. Are you bopping between rooms and playing each other's stuff? Or do you have, is it like an itinerary? It's like, okay, at 10 a.m., uh, Bubele and uh, so-and-so are going to get together. And at 1 p.m., this person and this person, do they do that? Is it that structured or how does it work? That one wasn't. I think you can do that. We okay. were off to writing camp like next week. And that's sort of the structure where it's more like the time slots. Yeah. And Three-hour sessions, two a day. Yeah. Like, you know exactly. You're going to play happen. records for everyone at this time. That one was more just like, you're all dope. You might not know each other, but you're all dope for whatever reason hang out and see what cool. happened. And so cool. sometimes you're just chilling in someone's studio and talking absolute nonsense. Other times mm-hmm. someone does a thing and they're like, yo, dude, you're really good at BVs. Do you want to like throw some backing vocals on this? Then you mm-hmm. hop into your studio, do the thing, throw it around. Um, so this one is very unstructured um, for everything except when the food showed up and that otherwise it was just have a good time <laughs> and meet cool people. And, and it was just you, David, you weren't part of this one? I was not. I was in South Africa and... Yeah, I was also involved with um, You're in your final, yeah. You were finishing up yeah, university. Yeah. So then after this uh, session, what happens next? David, did you move to New York? Bubele, did you go back to South Africa? So the, the song came out in mid-2019. And uh, we're I was talking the Lion King song? The Lion King song came out in okay. 2019. I was finishing my degree at the end of that year. And then I was... Um, going to do music full-time starting in 2020 so um i was planning on moving to new york in mid 2020 pandemic hit mm-hmm. uh, so we just pushed all our plans back by six months mm-hmm. um and f- 
a good uh, like a, a good side of the pandemic is people in LA were looking outside of just the um, immediate LA scene and um, we were able to meet up with or link with some um, like our management here and that was in like mid 2020 mm. and we were, we were so let's gonna- back that up a little bit so how did you and Seth uh, Callen your manager meet um, yeah, so what happened was I was in New York, the pandemic hit, David's in South Africa. I'm sort of just, we're all just trying to survive. Yeah. And then um, Seth Callen's an alum of uh, NYU, NYU uh, Clive Davis. So yeah. what had happened was in that first meeting for the Beyonce song, I had met the intern at Universal Music Publishing and we just became friends and started hanging out and like, oh, we should hang out, write some music together. He was really dope. And we became friends. That intern subsequently then... Um, got because he's a Clive Davis saw Seth Callan's job posting to be uh, a consultant, an A&R, A&R research consultant. Yeah. Got that job, <laughs> and then in his first dossier was like, "Hey, do you mind if I put together you and David's music for my boss?" And nice. that was that for his first dossier. Yeah. So shout out to Will Daly for making that happen. <laughs> and, and more so, uh, shout out to interns everywhere and people mm-hmm. that work with interns. You mm-hmm. never know where they're going to end up. So just be nice to everybody because you don't know what's going to happen. Don't shit on assistants. Don't shit on yeah. interns. Yeah. I mean, you just be everybody's friend. And if, and, and, uh, you know, they might yeah, remember I'm you. Here right now. It wasn't, no, you no. Friends with I was also like, as I, I think it's such an interesting thing of the human condition, right? It's like you want to be friends with the person that owns the building, the skyscraper, right? right? But if you are friends with the guy who owns the skyscraper and you walk up to the doorman and say, hey, I know Jim who owns the skyscraper, it's going to be like, no, you don't. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. Knowing the guy who, who works the door means that you can go up to him and be like, hey, man, how's it going? He's like, hey, dude, how's it going? Oh, do you need to come in here? Come on. <laughs> Like yeah. the access is actually granted at different levels. And I, it's, I think that people, it's a really bad human thing that we like gauge people according to whatever social standard of clout mm-hmm. or power they might have because everyone's on a journey. So, yeah. And, yeah. The, and the, the interns are going to be the, the next. They are the, the music. The next generation. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We were all whatever an intern. Capacity, yeah. We were all an intern. We were all someone's assistant. That's what I think people miss when uh, they're they're quote unquote networking or they're trying to get in the door somewhere is they make their list of the people that they would think they want to be in touch with. And those people are untouchable right now, primarily Mm -hmm. because they don't know them. They have no connections to them. But who the people are who are not untouchable are their assistants Mm -hmm. or their interns. And so that's how you get there. And so if you think about, well, maybe I can't get to XYZ executive right now, but I bet if I can can reach their assistants or their interns, I mean, nobody's emailing them uh, yeah. directly, you know, sure. saying hi, assist, you know, and so strike up that relationship there. And you and it's really it. Yes, of course, it's about relationships at the end of the day, but mm. authentic ones. Mm. And this intern clearly dug you and the music and and. Uh, and, you know, put their reputation on the line uh, with their new boss because they believed in yeah. you enough. And they knew that they could stand behind you as a person because, as we know, in the industry, it's just as much about how you are as a hang and as a person and how you're going to act in the room as it is about how cool your beat is. Yeah, literally. That's very true. That's, that's exactly it. So, yeah, that's how we met them. And then... Cool. Yeah, it was all just Zoom hangs and sending music. And Yeah, we signed to them because... Uh, so. 
that's an interesting one. So uh, this fiction, which is Seth's management and Spark, which is um, Ollie, Ollie Hammett's uh, management company, they did a joint venture, new publishing company, which we signed, signed to that to. publishing company. And um, yeah, that's so, so that's. Let's talk publishing deals and let's talk the publishing company because, Bubela, you told me earlier you turned down your first publishing deal because you didn't want to deal with uh, the recruitment or the payback of, of that loan, you called it. Um, yeah. Now, I understand at that time you didn't know much about it. I'm assuming you yeah. know a lot more about uh, pub deals these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about the, this publishing deal. Real quick, I want to let you know about Two Lost. Two Lost is a new distribution company to the space. And let me tell you, I am very impressed with them. I I got a full deep dive demo with the founder. And yeah, they're very innovative. And when you come into the distribution space at this stage with how crowded it is, you better be innovative. And they are. Yes, they will get your music out to Spotify, Apple Music, all the places, plus 450 other outlets around the world. They do not take a commission. This is why 300,000 artists and labels have already used them. They've already distributed 7 million songs. They offer payment splitting, and they don't charge your collaborators for this service, for the payment splitting. They will just pay your collaborators directly for free. They have publishing administration with BMG, so you know it's legit. A lot of distributors have have fallen into trouble with using some other uh, less than legit pub admin services. Well, two losses partnered with BMG. You know it's legit. They offer instant royalty advances. Uh, This is something that's very cool. And if you have historical streaming data and you need just a bulk payment up front, they can see how much your music has earned in the past. I'm like, all right, we think we know what you're going to earn in the next three years. Here's a check for 100 grand or whatever it will be. And you can just click a button and get that distributed and um, into your account immediately. They do lyrics and credits distribution for free. They have a very innovative analytics platform where, yes, you will see real-time analytics for Spotify, Apple Music, but also Pandora, Deezer, SoundCloud, and Peloton. They're the only ones that do Peloton. Uh, They also have a service where you can search the internet wherever your music is being used And it will just show you a chart of everywhere, every TikTok video, everywhere, every YouTube video, everywhere your music is possibly being used. I've never seen this before. That was very cool. They'll register with SoundExchange. And they have a fraud prevention tool. And they're doing fraud prevention. So if you're worried about your music, you know, getting a bot attack or something like that and getting ripped down, which we've seen is a big issue. uh, They have fraud prevention tools that are better than most other distributors that I have seen. Check out Two Lost. You can just go to twolost.com. Use the promo code Ari's Take for three months free and try them out. Let them know what you think. This, so difference. You, are you asking like the difference between these two? Um, or you can just tell me what this deal is. I mean, we can get into the yeah. nitty gritty of it. I'm always curious uh, to know how these deals are broken. Now, first off, um, you said, what's the name of this publishing company? that they they created campfire songs campfire songs so yeah. is this um in i'm assuming it's an independent publishing company yeah. yes. not yeah. under a major okay no, it's not um under. so yeah how does this uh break down is this a co-pub uh ownership deal is this uh did they work with the traditional model of advances uh t- break break down how all this works 
I think, uh, David, you will speak about some of this, but um, it, yeah, yeah, you actually, you start. So it's, we were their first signing and um, it's interesting. It's quite a unique deal in that it's, it's quite tailored towards us and like Mm -hmm. our stage in our career. So it's the, it's a development deal. And uh, so the first uh, period is 18 months. And in that time, um, we're in the process with them to find uh, a major to partner with. Um, mm. It could be a major, it could be um, an independent admin. Um, or we could just go alone and if it goes well. Yeah. If yeah. It, yeah. So, so that's what we are in the process of doing now. And um, there was an advance involved, which I think we can touch on quickly. Is quite um, important what we learned from, or what you learned as well from, mm. from your previous uh, deal is is if there's no advance, it's not really an incentive for the, the the publishing company or the label to to recoup that, and they can just like sign a lot of people for no advances and just hope one of them yeah. gets lucky. And there's no yeah. like uh, they're not they're not putting any of their skin in the in the game. So yeah. I think mm-hmm. advances are important in um, labels and publishers putting skin in the game so that they focus their attention on you. Yeah, it's um, a it's monetary incentive. All right, for companies like Seth Callen and Ollie Hammond are the best people. Um, but if we take a step outside of them being great people, we look at the ecosystem of businesses, businesses work on profit and bottom lines. And mm-hmm. if you signing someone costs you no money, then doing nothing with them costs you no money. But if you sign someone for, let's say, a really massive deal for like half a million US dollars, you are half a million US dollars in the red as a company. And every year you do not get a hit from that songwriter. You are incurring that cost. So what do you do? You then put them in with your best producers, your best songwriters, every contact that you possibly have to skew the odds towards recouping that money. And Mm. that's why I think advances are so important um, is they create this ecosystem of people having to um, like number one, it allows musicians to eat, and number two, mm-hmm. creates an ecosystem where um, people are both, hopefully, from an emotional standpoint, they have your best interest at heart. But then the company, from a bottom line standpoint, has has your best interest at heart because otherwise, they just blew money on nothing. In terms of the ownership, how is this publishing deal working? So we, um, it's 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 a code pub. They'll it'll change when, when they do the, the major um, jo- joint venture. Uh, mm-hmm. We own our, um, we own our writer's share and then the, the publisher's share. Um, I think that I, I can't exactly remember the specifics, but sure. there is a retention period that they mm-hmm. own it. Uh, we can buy it back. Um, it's yeah. We, is this something looked over it and it's, sure yeah yeah no is this something well more basically is this something where every song you write on during these 18 months is uh you're going to register uh co-ownership under, under, copyright with campfire yes yeah okay because there are some you know more admin or yes. sync deals out there where it's just the songs you kind of turn into them or just a song that you want to give them it's more non-exclusively i'm assuming because of this advance it's like okay for these 18 months everything you write no matter who you write it with or for or anything it is uh going to be kind of a co-pub deal with them i think i think this is with with deals um there has been quite like um i think each deal needs to make sense for for the person who's signing it and Mm -hmm. so before i did this i had an admin deal in south africa just to help me uh with registering songs which is a lot and 
um, in, in where we are in our career to like come to LA and and have the support system and um, be able to come here and do sessions. I think it was an important step for us to to mm-hmm. sign with with Campfire and. Um, but it's it's different for each person. I think yeah. if, if you're based here and you're able to like get in sessions, I think an admin might be better. Or you know, if you if you're really into sync, maybe a sync deal might be better. Yeah, and it's a really important distinction that that we're making here between sync deals. And I've I've interviewed a lot of uh, sync agents, music yeah. supervisors, and and that's a very specific kind of offshoot of publishing deals. You know. 15 years ago, there weren't sync agencies like there are now. Now, there are so many standalone sync agencies, sync licensing companies, um, that, you know, they used to be traditionally just part of, there were sync departments in publishing companies or sync departments as part of labels. Now, because the industry is so fragmented and, and everything is so indie focused, that, yeah, there are there are sync agents that are one stops uh, that can clear all the rights. Um, but sure. it's, it's really important because I do want to make the distinction between publishing deals and record deals because they're yeah. very, very different. Yeah. And we're right now, just so we make this clarification, we're talking about publishing deals, um, which I put in a completely different bucket than record deals. Mm. I, um, I've i heard, and I'm sure you guys have heard of this too, way too many horror stories of record deals, specifically yeah. major record deals. And you know, yeah. with the success rate, uh, or I should say the the failure rate of major record deals is 98%. That means only wow. 2% of artists that are signed to major record deals actually recoup the cost of their advance to make a second album or even release the first album. It's a 98% failure rate on major record labels. Very different from the publishing world where mm-hmm. you make a really good point, Bubele, that they're going to give you an advance skin in the game, meaning they're going to be setting up sessions for you. They're going to be pushing your stuff. Whereas like... The major record labels, it's almost like they're buying lottery tickets. And I mean, similarly doing that with publishing deals, but like I've heard way too many stories of artists getting signed to deals, even with decent advances mm-hmm. and the AR leaves or the person that signed them leaves mm-hmm. and they're like, they don't even they don't know what to do with them anymore. They don't put any money behind marketing. They own their masters. They may even shelve the record. They never even release it. They just say cut our losses and and that's that. Yeah. But when you have a yeah, but when you have a songwriting team like you guys, it's you know producers, songwriters. I feel like it's a very different process because it's just about it's more it's shots on goal. How many songs can we write? How many cuts can we get? It yeah. is still like buying lottery tickets because you never know what's going to turn into a hit and it's going to return. Yeah. Right, but it, yeah. yeah, go for it. Go I was for it. Say, it's tough with I think with with artists. There's a lot that goes into it in terms of you know, finding the sound, finding the mm. look. Um, and if it's not mm. resonating at that moment, um, you know, they off, like often artists get dropped. I think the, the, just the structure of the deals is, is more skewed in like uh, the favor of the labels. Mm. Um, it's like really uh, not good uh, for the artists in terms of like record label deals. Um, and I think there's more flexibility within like publish, publishing with like songwriters and producers. We can work mm. with so many different songwriters um, and other producers and artists and try and figure out like what's the sound for them yeah. and there's just more flexibility it's all about multiplying your odds the way i like to think about it and it's sort of like if i work with an artist no let's not even say an artist let's say we wrote write with a songwriter who signed to a different publisher and we make a great mm. record then our team's pitching the song and so is their team you now have mm. two teams mm-hmm. behind the song um trying to get it somewhere that's amazing so you know that's that's an important thing mm-hmm. but 
it's also like knowing what's right for you. I think for us signing with Campfire has been so amazing because it is a small company yeah. that may or may not be part of a larger company, but I've done the big publishing company thing. And it's very, I found for me in my formative years of being a writer, it's easy to get lost in the roster. Um, mm. And for that reason, I wanted a smaller, more intimate touch where I really loved some of my friends who were signed to publishing deals that were smaller. And every day they're chatting with their A&R, like yeah. literally every day texting. What do you think of this song? What do you think of this song? Whereas oh. my our last deal, like they brought some really great opportunities for me. But before that, because they were handling so much, such a large part of people, it's very hard to get a response to an email. And mm-hmm. so you need to know what's right for you. If you already have your people and you're a song hit songwriter and you mm-hmm. have your collaborators, you don't need someone babysitting you. Yeah. We're new to the country. And so we need as much help getting to know the players and each person at every step of the way as, as we possibly can. So what advice would you give to emerging songwriter producers who want to be in your shoes, who may want a publishing deal or may not know if they want one or not, but mm-hmm. want to be a working songwriter producer. Yeah. Here we go. Okay. One, do everything that you possibly can to educate yourself on the thing you're trying to do. Um, we've seen too many things where people get into horrible situations, get caught up in the glitz and glam, um, get caught up in the, the, the names of labels or people or things do your thing and educate yourself. Number yeah. one. Um, number two, find incredible collaborators in mm. your vicinity. It's well and good to try and be in the room with X, Y, Z, but get, reaching them is virtually impossible. You need to have something first. And the best way to do that is find someone in your general vicinity and just do the thing with them, yeah. mm. create something that's dope and is a, is a journey, a musical experience. And then, um, this is advice that I did not take um, early on, but when things start popping off, find a lawyer. Like yeah. mm-hmm. genuinely, that's a big thing. Um, and this is why, again, this whole thing of advances is such a big thing for me, um, is that we need advances because without advances, it's difficult to pay the lawyer. It's difficult to pay a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 700 hours, $700 an hour is mm-hmm. not money that most kids can afford let alone a kid from South Africa where the exchange rate is one to 15. Um, <laughs> you're looking at three months worth grocery for two hour conversation. Like <laughs> it's intense. Um, so yeah. yeah, those are the things. And then after that, it's just like, you don't know where the thing is going to come from. Yeah. Um, like the way that I got connected to my first major label was a guy walked into my class and he Everyone was like, oh, maestro. I was like, who's that? They're like, oh, he's in a band. I was like, okay, cool. I'm at a music conservatory. This guy just walked in and he's doing it in the pop game. So let me talk to him. And afterwards I talked to him. He was so lovely, exchanged numbers. I went home, Googled his band and they definitely had the number one song in the country. And that is like- You didn't know. I didn't know. And he was so lovely. And then he was like, hey man, I'm going on tour. Can't take this gig. Are you still making pop music? Mm. Play me some things. And the thing is that was a year apart. And if I hadn't been working on my craft, throughout that year and making Mm. better and better things when he asked for something and I had the moment to play him something, the door wouldn't have opened. So Mm -hmm. just doing, doing the thing and like just keeping here, like don't worry about Mm -hmm. everyone else's game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every, everything you said, I couldn't add to that. I mean, you make a a good point about, you know, luck is merely when preparation meets opportunity. So you had the preparation. So when that opportunity arose, you were able to uh, seize it. Uh, You know, they say it's kind of like uh, 
luck is is like a a, a city bus, and if you miss one of them, uh, you can another one will come around. Mm. But the only way that you'll be able to hop on the bus is if you're prepared for it. Mm, that's, that's, so that's dope. So, um, yeah. Go ahead. No, no go, go for it. I was just going to say, like, the you need to have something to aim towards in terms of, like, you're aiming to get better and to, like, improve your craft. But, yeah, you don't know where that, that opportunity is going to come. Mm-hmm. You can't strategize these things. And I mm-hmm. think, jumping on what you said, just having, like, a community of people that are, like, that you can grow with, I think is, is so important. And to find people you love collaborating with and yeah. that you can be creative around yeah. um, and, and just making songs that you love. Yeah. And also this thing that you can, there are things that I feel you can strategize, which we've actually done quite okay. well in our career. And that is <clears throat> strategizing your point of entry towards a thing. Um, at which angle are you going to come from it? If you're doing it the way that everyone else is doing it, it's really hard to get in. But you say, hey, um, how can we do this at a different angle? For instance, I was listening on Spotify. I just got on Spotify on my first Discover Weekly. There was this artist. I was like, this is a cool song. I looked at his plays and he had had maybe 80,000, 100,000 monthly plays. So I was like, okay, let's check him out. Went on his socials. He had thousands of Instagram followers. I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that. Went on Twitter. He wasn't really active for like five years or four years, whatever. So I was like, that's not going to work. Went on his Facebook and he had 300 likes on his Facebook. All right. So I'm like, okay. There might be something here. Slide in the DMs on Facebook and send him a song that was in the same vein. That was for another you artist. Didn't, you didn't say, what did you say? I just said, I was like, hey man, like, I don't know what I said. I was like, hey man, like really this loved your song. song. And like, we, I made this thing that like sort of sounds like it. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. And he hit me back. like, dude, I want this song. So, Can I have this song? And that was so funny. And, and we and were like, no, you can't have the song have the, for someone else. <laughs> for someone else. We will write something for you. Exactly. So what do we oh. do? We get that same artist, wrote a song for him and sent it back to him. And that was our first international cut. Later, we find out that this that? guy, his name is John Vinyl. And he's so okay. his was, friends. He went yeah. to school with Shawn Mendes. So we released a song oh, with wow. him. Like, um, like a week after the song comes out, Shawn Mendes tweets the song. Whoa. And like, story. Yeah. And I'm, we're like, what is happening? And it turns out they were childhood friends. And we didn't like, know this. We didn't know this. For us, it was just like, this artist is dope. And he seems like he's got enough momentum to be cool and <clears throat> not too early, but, um, or even if it's early, it doesn't matter, but we have access, we can sort of reach him. Mm. And so that's mm. what we did was we didn't worry about who is he connect, who is he signed to. Nah, at that game, we're just like, I like this person. How can we work with them? So I love that. Yeah. Such great advice. And it, I, I get, that is one of the questions I get so often is how do I find people to collaborate with? How do I, and right there, you know, this, people may seem untouchable, but the music spoke for itself. Uh, but also, I mean, you went you went in the side door a little bit, you know, whereas like Instagram would have been the front door where everyone slid into their DMs and, and everyone has forgotten about Facebook. So you went over to Facebook <laughs> and, uh, you know, because messengers probably downloaded it on their phone and it just popped up. It's like, oh. My first messenger message in seven months. Sweet. <laughs> Who's this? <laughs> right, right. Cool. That's, yeah, really great advice. Um, nice. So what uh, what's next for you guys? What are you, uh, I know, uh, I, I think you said the campfire situation. Um, you're, you're potentially going to be linking with a, a larger entity or just playing this out or seeing how things go. But where are you at right now? Are you doing writing camps, in-person sessions, Zoom sessions? What's going on? Yeah, so we, we got to LA in Feb 
and um, we moved into this house and got our studio set up in March. And um, it's just been a yeah crazy time of mm-hmm. of balancing yeah in person sessions and Zoom sessions, and it's it's doing the the LA scene, which is just mm-hmm. so many um, yeah sessions every day with with new people, which has been amazing to to meet new people mm-hmm. and find out who our collaborators are. Yeah. Um, but it's, I think it's tough to like get deep with an artist. Um, if you just meeting them like one off. So yeah, yeah. we're at that, nice. we're at that first dates phase. We're just doing a lot mm-hmm. of dating with a lot of other creatives. Mm-hmm. And so do you, do you show up with your, uh, vaccination cards and be like, hi, nice to meet you. We're good. We're good. Okay. <laughs> it's the same as showing up to a date with a batch of roses. It's sort of yeah. like, it, I want to know that you would buy me roses, but I don't want you to show up with them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm good. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, uh, cool. It, it's, yeah, that's been, that's been the whole vibe. It's just like getting to know our collaborators. That's what's right now for us mm-hmm. and awesome. um, finding those people and then just locking in and um, starting to establish ourselves here in the States. And we're still working on a lot of things back home, which is, which is really cool. And um yeah, we have a great team that, mm. like, I, I can honestly say we could not have done this without our team. Like, cool. no part of, from finding a house to getting here, like, financially to, like, just leadership and guidance on, like, how to deal with, how do you deal with this ANR? And mm-hmm. are you getting cut out of this deal? And what sh- how should we go about this thing? And, oh, this deal, like, it's been, it's been such an eye-opener to mm. see what a a person like what industry veterans look like in action. And that is a mm. privilege for us. And I, I, I do not take that lightly. I'd like to add though, that it doesn't necessarily need to be like people at labels or like people within like the elusive scene. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's people who like, it's important to build a team and uh, mm. um, people that like complement your weaknesses uh, that have strengths where like, yeah, so so building our team also looks like finding the songwriters that we love and like the mix engineers and like mm. that we love and the guitarists that we love and like the lawyer um, that that helps us and like I think that's just like building um, our long term career and like the mm-hmm. and like the company. It's not necessarily that they all like work for us or under us. It's just like this ecosystem of what we see Noble as and mm. how we can do this for a long time and mm-hmm. uh, work and and do what we love. Um, I don't think it necessarily has to be linked to labels or majors or, no. yeah. yeah. Where do you think the uh, industry is at right now in terms of location? You guys moved to mm. LA, you're from South Africa, you spent a lot of time in New York. Uh, why LA? I'll take this one. Cool. Uh, the pandemic very quickly showed me that there's really only one thing that is important once you are, your safety and your financial stability is, is sort of sorted, and that is emotional ecosystem. Um, mm. Your emotional support is everything. And uh, being in New York was so tough during the pandemic, being so far away from family and friends. And New York is a place of expatriates or like implants. Um, so transplants, that's the word. A lot of transplants. So when the pandemic hit, everyone went back to their respective places and it was a very isolating place for me. And so being in New York was the first step because it felt like a smaller step than LA, which seemed like the monster. Um, LA now coming here wasn't even a thing for me um, or even for us about this decision of like, we're going to LA to where everyone's at because the pandemic had spread everyone out. Mm -hmm. It more became a thing of where is my emotional support system? 
my two best friends, individual of each other, two best friends in America, both decided to move to LA for separate reasons yeah. around the same time. When that happened, I realized that there was nothing for me at the stage of my life in New York. Mm-hmm. So LA was where I was going to go because number one, I had emotional support. David was going to move there with me. My two other friends from um, New York were going to be there. So that's my whole emotional support ecosystem is here. Mm-hmm. And then we've just signed this deal, which means our team's ecosystem is here as well, which cool. means that you can get to know them better. So LA for us is that. It made sense for, for yeah, emotional. Yeah. Emotional nice well-being, the open spaces, all of that was great, but you really can do it from anywhere. We are seeing kids from all over the globe getting deals wild deals. And, and, and blowing up um, from wherever yeah. through yeah, Instagram and, and, and Spotify and TikTok. Yeah. You'll come through LA if you're in the music industry, yeah. but I, don't, I no longer believe it's a, an imperative to be in LA. Um, I mean, I, I suppose it makes sense in the style that you guys work where you can create an entire musical foundation quote unquote the beat and send it to a top liner and the top liner can you know write on that uh from a different time zone and send it back and, and it's done whereas like oh, sorry, so mom is facetiming um so uh <laughs> whereas like it's different um you know in nashville where uh most people show up three people show up with three acoustic guitars in a room and that's a lot more difficult to do a session like that over zoom people have been doing that um but in the way that you work and and most people in pop and hip-hop these days are working it, it makes sense that you can do it really from anywhere yeah i think it's more like being here um you have access to people in person and we prefer in person completely, but mm-hmm. it's sort of, I'm seeing so many people who like come in, do a trip, spend a month, dip, mm-hmm. go out, mm-hmm. finish the records, come back, spend a month, work with a bunch of people. So yeah, it's for us, we love it because we've never been in a city with this many music people and people to collaborate with ever. This is, yeah. it's just it's wait till live music comes back. It's going to be nutty. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's wild. And yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Cool. I, I was going to say from like a Zoom perspective, um, they, I think we, we're still, the pandemic has allowed collaboration to happen that wouldn't have happened before. So people are way more open to doing Zoom sessions. And I think if you can harness the good in that, um, you know, we can be doing sessions with people in the UK or back home in South Africa. And that can, if you, I think Zoom sessions are best when you know the person or you have a relationship and, mm. and they, uh, you have a rapport and then they also have like a setup that they can record some things, mm. um, some vocals on their side. And like, if you can, if you can tweak it, like we've chatted to some people, they prefer Zoom sessions. Which is wild wow. to me. So I, I don't understand that, but we try and look for the good and I think it has opened up a side of collaboration, which is beneficial to, yeah. to, to music. Also, awesome. can I be honest, Ari? You got to know like your lane and your vibe. We are trash at Zoom. Like, <laughs> we are, are like, because our whole thing is just being here, talking absolute nonsense. David, like, our favorite song is David play, sitting on the couch playing church chords, like the most like stereotypical song, like, ever and mm-hmm. the artist like, oh that's dope and we turned it into this crazy song like you can't do that over zoom mm-hmm. um for us and some people mm-hmm. are very good at it and that's amazing and when we work with people that we know it can be still fun but because mm-hmm. we know them and we can banter but yeah and when you have to spend the first seven minutes figuring out how to get the camera connected then oh, it, it kind of kills the vibe <laughs> then your battery dies then your mom right. calls <laughs> 
these are all completely <laughs> never happens to us, but it happens to some people. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> cool. Well, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I have one final question that I ask everybody who comes on the show. What does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? Do you want to go Good first? Good question. Um, in the new music, and to make it, there's, I think there's two sides to that. But for me to make it is to be able to, uh, I mean, yeah, make, like, pay, pay my bills and make music. Um, I think that's at, like a, at a baseline. I think that's, that would be amazing for me to, to do what I love, which is create music. And then also to, we have goals and to, um, and we want to make music or I want to make music that I'm proud of and achieve. I think there's a lot of value in achieving goals. And so, um, I think for me, it's yeah, making a living from what I do and then being on this journey of, of reaching goals and, and making music that I'm proud of, I think. Mm. Um, and it doesn't really, I haven't touched really on the new music business because I think there's more nuances there, but yeah. from a making it perspective, that's, that's what sure. it is for me. For me, I think to make it in the new music business is two things. And that is one, to move the cultural needle. I think that success and streaming and all those things are great, but to really make it, mm. to be an impact is to move the cultural needle, number one. Um, so all be part of doing that. I think that is one thing to make it. And number two is to find joy in having yourself heard and have other people feel heard. Mm. I, I, last night I was just like flicking through music while I was doing finance stuff on my computer and a song came on and it was a cover of a, of a, of a Post Malone song and it moved me to tears and I was like, flip, I feel so heard by this music. Like mm. I, I really feel like someone just sat me down for an hour and just listened to me, even though it was a two and a half minute song. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really what it is to make it because if you can make people feel like that, mm. then it, I, I don't think there's a way you can't not be successful. Like, yeah. That's good. That's it. Ubele, David, Noble, thank you for coming on the show. Thank, thank you so, you so much. is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee, unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com